I want to go to Matthew chapter 1 this morning and read a um, probably a less familiar part of the Christmas story. Um, we're going to read a little bit about Joseph. And if you may disagree with this, and you might be right. Usually when I say you disagree, you're probably wrong. But you might be right in this case. I'm not sure. But I feel like Joseph is probably the most um, neglected person throughout the entire Christmas nativity story. We talk a lot about Mary, and, and, and that's good, obviously. That's, a, that's important. We talk a lot about angels and wise men and shepherds. We talk a lot about Jesus. That's okay, right? I mean, he's pretty pivotal to the story there. Um, but, uh, man, I, 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 feel, I feel like Joseph a lot of times just gets kind of dissed. Um, you know, because he didn't have anything to do with the pregnancy. Um, he's not found in Jesus' later life. We, we, we assume that he probably passed away at some point. Um, you know, but I, I, I tell you what, if, um, if Kristen came to me and she said, I'm pregnant, God did it, and it, the baby's going to be the son of God, that would, uh, that would create a lot of emotions within me. That, um, first of all, being disbelief. <laughs> and, uh, but let's read a little bit about Joseph here in Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because, let's just be real about this. Remember, this is a real story about real people who went through real stuff. His, his fiance is coming up to him with a baby bump. And she is saying, and, and when, when the Bible says, uh, before they came together, y'all know what that means? Don't make me say it. I get embarrassed talking about that kind of stuff from the pulpit, y'all. I ain't gonna lie to you. That's hard for me. What does it mean? Ask your husband. Ask your husband what Paul said. Ladies, be quiet during service. Oh, it's hot in here, y'all. Oh. I'm digging deep. I'm just shoveling that hole deeper as I go. Before they came together and did the thing that married people do. That have healthy marriages. Um, Jesus, help me God. You know, 10 minutes ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit was moving, and now I don't, I don't know where he went. No. So Mary comes to Joseph, and she says, hey, I'm pregnant. And Joseph knows he didn't do it. I mean, like, you know what I mean? He knows he, knows he didn't do it. And, um, and he says, you know, well, who's the father? And she's God. I heard a story not too long ago about a lady claiming that that happened. But I don't, I don't think she was telling the truth. But the thing is, Mary was telling the truth. And, but Joseph, Joseph thought 
she, not only is she unfaithful, but she's crazy. She's nuts, y'all. She's, she's insane. And, but he was a good man. And he, he resolved to divorce her quietly, which was to say that had he made a spectacle of this situation, there is a possibility that Mary could have been executed for her adultery. You understand? This, this is a culture where this kind of thing, first of all, women were treated ex- extremely unfairly compared to men. Had a man done that, there would have been relatively little punishment involving it. But in this situation, because it was a woman who was unfaithful to her husband, had he pushed the matter, he could have, bad things could have happened. But because he was a good man, and even though he was definitely, you got to think, man, he's, he's probably been so hurt because of this. And many of you understand this pain all too well. So you can imagine the pain that he's going through. And then for her to say, the Holy Spirit did it. We laugh about it. But golly, can you, can, I can't even comprehend that. And I hope I never do. <laughs> I'm having fun again. I need to stop. Verse 20 says, but as he considered these things, and when I, when I read the word considered, I, I like to think that Joseph had to pray about it. He had to go, oh God, is this real? I mean, is there any way? As he thought about it, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which in Hebrew would be similar to the word Joshua, which means salvation has come. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. That's a key phrase there. But knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that when we read it, we don't read about fairy tales or made-up names and made-up people and made-up stories, but we read truth. We read life. We read um, the very words of God that bring sustenance to our souls and give life to our spirit. And so, Father, today as we unpack your word as we talk about uh, a topic that no doubt all of us struggle with on some level. I pray that you would bring freedom, that you would bring help, that you would bring relief, and God, that you would bring transformation to all of us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, come on. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise in the house today. He's worthy. He's worthy. I, um, I, I, think it, I think it goes without saying, but here I am saying it. 
Um, the world today is a, is a pretty angry place. If you have a social media account, you know that. And I love social media. There's people watching right now via social media. But um, the world, is, I think, it seems more angry than ever before, probably because of the advent of social media. And today, our, our world is full of keyboard warrior, warriors who... You know, they would never say some of these things to people's faces because they would probably get their lights knocked out. But because they have, you know, their little safe space and the separation between others, you know, we, we tend to be more critical. We tend to be more outspoken about our annoyances and our irritations uh, because we think people care when in fact they don't. They don't care. They don't care about to the person who. You know, y'all got, you ever read that on Facebook or to the person who. And I want to be like, nobody cares. Just shut up. Deal with it. Like, do, do, like we, every one of us could say that about something at some point. And some of y'all are like, I did that last week. He saw that. Now he's calling me out. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I've probably done it before too. I hate Facebook memories because it reminds me of how stupid and, and weird I was. And then it definitely changes the way I post on Facebook now because I think I'm going to read that next year. I'm going to feel really dumb about that. So I'm not going to do that now. Um, I'm, I was actually having a conversation with Monica yesterday, and uh, which Monica, I think she's right there. Um, how old are you again, Monica? 24. 24. 24. That's so young. <laughs> now, um, you know, I didn't have a Facebook account until I was probably 22. And how long have you had a Facebook account, Monica? Like, how old do you think you were? Anybody else in the house thankful that they didn't have a Facebook account while they were a teenager? I'm so grateful that camera phones, at least as we know them now, did not exist, well, they, not at all when I was a teenager. Uh, I'm so, because if there were, there's no way I could be a pastor today. <laughs> there's no way. I would have, there would be so much dirt on me that people would be like, at one time. Uh, and so if, if, if you were a teenager, <clears throat> looking at you right in front of me, and all, all the other, all the, all the young bucks in the, in the room, just be careful because it will follow you. It will find you. Um, but man, what a bad time in history to be named Karen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> What's the male equivalent? Is, anybody, is it Brad? I heard, I heard it was Brad. Chad? No, all the Chads I know are wonderful. Brandon? Joe? Is it Joe? No. Um, man, what a, what a bad time to be named Karen. Like a nice lady who's named Karen. And she feel bad for her? She introduces herself to somebody and they automatically look at her sideways like, mm-hmm. Um, I, we're going to talk about anger today. And uh, I, I recognize up front that this is not going to get a lot of amens. And I struggle with that because I love amens. You know it. You know it. Amen. I love it when you talk back to me in a good way. Not the way my kids do, but the way, you know, you do. Um, so uh, I'm just, I know that up front. So if you, if you get feeling sorry for me, just offer up a few pity amens. I'd appreciate that. Uh, we're going to talk about anger. Uh, we're going to talk about the topic, unanger yourself. We're talking about ungrinching ourselves. Today we're talking about unangering ourselves. And I, I just want to go on record and say, and I don't think this is a mystery to anybody, that anger is probably the most destructive human emotion that we experience when left unchecked. Because anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. 
I want to say that up front. Anger is, is something that God created you to feel. God himself feels the emotion of anger. And we are created in his image and in his likeness. Now, last week we talked about worry. And I, just, I want to tell you, God did not create you to worry. God created you to trust in faith. Because God doesn't worry. God's never been worried. God never will worry. God doesn't look at the world and go, oh, myself, what are we going to do about this? He doesn't do that. He never, he never does that, right? But God does get angry. And, and there's an anger... When, when, when we see it from God's perspective, it is a good thing. But like all good things, sin has perverted them. Now perverted obviously just means to make something good into something it's not. And sin has perverted anger. And, and for most of us in this room, I would say almost everyone in this room and almost everyone in the world around us on some level struggles with dealing with anger in a way that God uh, would want us to deal with it. Uh, and when we don't deal with it that way, it becomes very destructive. Uh, anger, irritation, frustration uh, are probably the most well-associated traits uh, with a Grinch, right? When we use the word, you're being a Grinch. Uh, or somebody's acting like a Grinch. I think anger probably sort of most defines what we think of. Uh, you know, and, and anger caused the Grinch to go rob the people of Whoville, right? Of their, of their Christmas presents and Christmas cheer and all that stuff. And I read the other day, somebody posted it on Facebook. And this is one of the reasons why I have social media, is to read funny stuff. And it said, the Grinch didn't hate Christmas. He hated people and that's fair. That's, that's. And the Grinch had no problem with Christmas. He just didn't like people. So that's why he did it. And that made me laugh. Um, it's bad theology, but it's hilarious. So let's talk about unangering ourselves. I, um, I, I have dealt with anger my entire life in a, ma a majority of the time in an unhealthy manner. Um, as a kid, anger would get the best of me. Uh, and, and I could even say a little bit of it might be genetic if, if I were to go track down my family history. Uh, my father was a, he, he, we, we would say the phrase like he burned hot. You know what I'm saying? And uh, my grandfather burned hot and I burned hot. Even now I burn hot. I, uh, it is very easy for me to get lost in my emotions and to say something or to do something that I will regret given enough time and space to look back on the words that I said or the thing that I did. You know, as a kid, man, my mouth would get me in trouble and I, I got disciplined by my parents. And let me just tell you, there were no timeouts. There was, there was other things happening. And uh, as a teenager, my mouth would get the best of me and I get, would get in trouble in school and be sent to the principal's office. I'd, there is no telling. I started getting paddlings in second grade and it didn't stop until, until senior year, basically. I don't even think they do that anymore. I think that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to make a comment about that. But uh, I don't think that happens. Anybody get a paddling in school, just be real about it? That's my people right there. Rest of y'all, little goody two shoes, teacher pets, all that mess. I uh, I'd say something to a teacher. I, I listen. I'll be real with you. I I would I would spout my mouth off to other people, and uh, I've always felt like I was bigger than I am. Amen. 
And uh, a couple of times in my life, I have used my mouth to say something, and by the end of that conversation, my mouth was bleeding. Um, and uh, what? I got thrown into a urinal one time. Julie remembers that story. If you weren't here, you, you just had to be here. Trust me. You want to reenact it real quick? No, let's don't do that. Um, it was, I was in fifth grade. It wasn't like recently. It was a sermon illustration. It was a sermon illustration. I mean, don't put it past me though. It could have, it could have happened recently. I, um, I, I, man, I've just, I, I, it's, it's been something that I've struggled with. And, and you know, throughout this series, talking ungrinch yourself, I'm talking mainly about worry, anger, and sadness. Now there's a lot of other emotions that could be included in the sermon series, but just being very honest with you, I picked the three that I struggle with most. The three things that I can relate to the most. And uh, anger is certainly one of them. And when, my, when our first daughter was born, I, um, I began to notice things that I would say and reactions that I would take as she began to get older and to get into things and, you know, just be a child. And I remember early on, there was a conversation that my wife had with me uh, after I reacted in a way that was just over the top, being mad and, and just saying, you know, to a two-year-old or, that I, you know, just didn't make any sense. And if you saw it, I'd be ashamed of it. But I'm just being real with you. I told you last week, I'll tell you my junk. You know, I'm not going to try to pretend to be something I'm not. And, and I want to share with you my real life story so that one, that you know that um, don't to expect too much from me. That's, that's number one. But, uh, but I just want you to know that if you struggle in any of these ways, you're not alone. And if you judge me, if you think less than me, I'm okay with that. I mean, I really am. If, if that's the kind of person you want to be, if you can sleep at night being that way, that's your, that's your call. So go, 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 go knock yourself out with that. But she had a conversation with me, and, and my wife never met my dad, uh, but she's heard a lot of stories about my dad. Some of them good many of them not so good and um, she asked me and, I, and I, I'm, I'm trying to remember this best I can but she asked me she said did your dad do that kind of stuff I said yeah and she said How, how'd that work out for you did, did you like that did that make things better did that make things worse and uh, I remember thinking you know I'm repeating the cycles that I swore I would never repeat I'm doing the things that I swore I would never do. I'm becoming the person that I swore I would never become. And I'm certainly not perfect when it comes to dealing with anger as, as I stand right now. But I can tell you, hopefully my wife will nod yes. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm certainly not where I was. And I want to break the cycle. And, and I think many of us in the room would say, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to break the cycle as well. And so today, I, I, hope, I hope this will help you in dealing with your anger in a way that will honor God and benefit your future. Uh, you know, for me, when I get angry, I tend to lash out. I tend to run my mouth. I t I, you know, the, I'm, I should even say this. You know, I may or may not have put a hole or two or ten in a door in my past uh, and had to go to Home Depot and, and spend money. So my anger has cost me dollar bills. It has cost me relationships. It's cost me sleep. Uh, you could probably ask my doctor and they could confirm that it may have even cost me some of my life that I may, may not get back when it's all said and done. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I know that not everybody handles anger the same way. I was having a conversation with Kristen a couple of days ago about anger. And she says, you're, you're making a mistake 
and assuming that everybody deals with anger the same way you do. And she said, you know, I don't lash out like you do. I internalize it and I just hold resentment in my heart against somebody for, you know, however long. And I thought, you know, that's a good point because for me, if AJ comes and he makes me mad, which he never has and he never will because he's perfect in all of his ways. But if AJ, if AJ rubs me the wrong way, I will say something to him. I will deal with it, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. But nonetheless, I will, I will, once I get it out, I'm done. I'm good. I can walk away. I'm not angry anymore. But for many of you, you might be the opposite. You might hold on to it. You might internalize it and it might fester in your soul and birth resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. And both of those ways are destructive. Both of those ways are unhealthy. So instead of talking about what we shouldn't do. Let's talk about what the Bible says we should do when it comes to handling our anger. You guys ready for this? Yes. So, I'll, I'll, let me say this up front. When, when I started researching what the Bible says about anger, I was blown away with how many verses there are that deal with anger. How many scriptures there are. And, and I didn't include them all because you don't have that kind of time and I don't have that kind of voice. But we have a lot of them here. This is what the Bible says about anger. Start, let's go to James 1.20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And, and, and here's the thing that we have to remember again. God created you to get angry. And first of all, own that for a moment. That if you feel the emotion of anger, that is not bad. That is you being who God made you to be. What you do with that anger, how you, how you communicate that anger, how you treat that anger, how you handle that anger, how you resolve that anger is what may or may not separate you from the way God wants you to deal with it. So James tells us the anger of man, the way man typically handles anger, does not produce the result that the word James uses is righteousness. But bear with me for a moment. Uh, let me just interject the word result. The result that God wants to have. Now how many times in your life can you remember a moment where you allowed anger to get the best of you. You said what you wanted to say or you did what you wanted to do. Whether it was external or internal. But later on you would be able to look back and you say you know the anger that I had that I communicated the way I communicated. It did not lead to the place that I wanted to go. It did not produce the result that I wanted to get. It did not make things better. How many times can you look back in your life and say, you know, I let my anger actually make things worse and not better. Yeah. And that's, that's what James is telling us. That anger, when left unchecked and not filtered through the way God wants you to handle it, will damage your relationships. It can damage your stuff. It can damage your witness. It can damage your health. It can damage God's plans for your life. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Don't be quick to get angry. Give yourself time to gain perspective around the situation, the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes Solomon would say. He would say, you know, 
oftentimes when something happens or when something says that produces in you the, the emotion of anger, you want to be quick to fight back. You want to be quick to retaliate or to speak or to, or to respond or to react to that moment. But Solomon is saying, take some time to gain some perspective of the situation before you respond to the situation. Now, how often in our world lately has somebody taken a video of something, snapshot that video, clipped it, edited it in a certain way, put it on social media, the world sees it, has a response to it, and then all of a sudden, six months or a year later, we find out we didn't have the whole story. Oh, I'm... But now, now, take that down and boil that down to your everyday life. When somebody cuts you off in traffic or when somebody is rude to you at a restaurant or maybe your server doesn't do everything you would want them to do the way you would want to do it and, and, and you want to respond with a smart mouth or a low tip or, or, or yeah, is this too real or am I going to hurt your feelings? And, 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 but you, you don't know the whole story. My mom used to work at a restaurant uh, after my father passed away and, 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 and I was going to community college and she was working at a restaurant to help me financially to help herself, to help our family. And she would tell me stories. And, and she, was, she, she was waiting tables at a restaurant on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. And there would always be this one pastor come in and everybody knew in our community. He, would, he was so rude, so hateful, so mean, and he didn't tip a dime. And can I tell you that I wouldn't go to that man's church if it was the last church on earth because of that moment right there? But we, we allow... The way we treat people in moments of anger to shape our perspectives. Solomon would say, take a step back. Try to understand where they're coming from. Try to understand the situation not as you see it, but as they see it. To gain an objective point of view. And then he says, anger lodges. It makes its home. In the heart of a fool. In other words, do your very best to not let anger stick around because it will make a fool out of you. It will make you say something that you can't take back. It will make you do something that you can't undo. It will poison your soul. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving another, one another, as God in Christ forgave you. To, to handle anger properly, to get rid of it in a way that is healthy, we have to understand where it comes from. And you can read about this. This isn't, this isn't biblical. This is science, but I think the Bible confirms it. It kind of boils down to our fight, flight, or freeze reflex. You know, if somebody were to punch you in the face, how would you react kind of idea? And, and figuratively speaking, let's don't illustrate that today. You know, how would you react? And you know, you get punched in the face a lot of different ways. You get punched in the face with bad news, right? You know, there's a lot of different ways you can get knocked upside the head. Um... You know, for, for me, if somebody hits me in the face, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I will probably hit back. I will probably, and I might get my tail whipped in the process, but I'll get one good lick in there before it's all said and done. Um, I'm scrappy, and, and I'm stupid, too. That's two bad combinations when it comes to fighting. And uh, I make bad decisions in the heat of the moment like that. You know, um, 
You know, Kristen, we were talking about this, she, she would probably freeze up. She would probably just, in shock, you know, just freeze and not know what to do. And then, and then AJ, if, if you hit him in the face, he's going to run away because he's scared like that. And uh, not Julie, though. She'll, she'll, she'll clap back real fast in a hurry. And, uh, amen. Yeah, amen. <laughs> so anyway... In those moments of intense emotion, your body is designed by God to do things to help you fix the problem. Adrenaline will begin to dump itself into your bloodstream. Your muscles will tighten up. Your heart rate will increase. Your focus will become more tunnel vision-like to help you deal with the problem. To help you deal with the situation. If you've ever almost been in a car wreck, or even if you've actually been in a car wreck, you know in those moments when you see something happening, it's like time slows down. And literally, your body is responding to danger in a way that God has made it to respond to help you get out of that danger or to help somebody else who might be in that moment of danger. Um, so, so anger is a good thing. When, when we use it in the way God intended for us to use it. One guy said this, and, I, and I, it was so good I had to write it down. He said, it's not bad, or it's not always bad to feel angry, but it is always bad to stay angry. It is not always bad to feel angry, but it is always bad to stay angry. It, it, it begins to, to ruin us physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Heck, it can even ruin you financially. The writer of Psalm 37 said, Stop being angry. Or stop staying angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temp temper. It only leads to harm. It only leads to harm. Now, how does this connect to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, where we read about Joseph's response to the announcement of the birth of Jesus. How would you respond if your spouse comes to you, if your wife comes to you, because it definitely has to be a wife. I don't care what anybody says. Comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, God did it, you're not the father. I'd, I'd be ticked, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So I have to think that Joseph had to feel anger. So let's, let's uncover the emotions, the feelings that lead to the emotion of anger. Number one, I think Joseph felt pain. I think Joseph felt hurt. Imagine the hurt that Joseph, and, and sadly some of you don't have to imagine. Some of you don't, so you know this. But imagine the hurt Joseph felt when Mary told him that she was pregnant and that God did it. Imagine the pain, the betrayal, the sense of loss, the sense of, of just having love taken away from you. You see, we use anger to protect ourselves from feeling pain. And I've told you a little bit of my testimony before. I've told it all before, but you may or may not have heard some of it. My father died when I was 14 years old, and I was already an angry little kid. 
by that point. But after he passed away, and that just, that just accelerated the feelings of anger. And I also had a lot of feelings of pain and fear and loss. And we'll talk about some of those in a moment. But I was hurting. I was hurting so bad on the inside as, as you would imagine. And some of you know for yourself from going through situations where you felt like something was taken away from you prematurely. And I would use anger as a guard around me to protect myself from feeling the pain that I felt. I would use anger as a guard around me so that I I wouldn't allow myself to get hurt anymore because if I was mad, if I was angry, if I was always in fight mode, I couldn't feel the pain. And so you got to think that it's very likely that Joseph was using his anger to protect himself from his pain. You can, you can guard your pain. That's what anger does. You can guard your pain or you can give God your pain. Guarding it won't do anything but, but make it fester and make it grow. And it will become like an abscess to your soul that will rot away the good parts. And so we can guard it or we can give it to God. Jesus said this, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A lot of us, we get, we get hurt, we get angry, and we try to bottle it up. We try to just lodge it down deep inside of us. But the problem is, it will always come out. At some point, at some time, something will happen and, and, and something the, the dam will burst and the emotions will begin to flood. And what could have been dealt with 10 years ago with just a, a you know, giving it to God will come out 10 years later and it will come out like an explosion and it will do damage all around. So when we feel hurt, that can cause anger. When we feel humiliated, Kali, can you imagine? <laughs> like, you have, to, you have to remember that this is a culture that, you know, when, when, when things like this today happen in a marriage, they're devastating, they're horrible. But the cultural implications then versus now were so much more extreme than they are today. And so can you imagine the shame, the embarrassment Joseph would have felt to have his fiance become and be unfaithful to him? And when we feel humiliated, when we feel embarrassed by what others think, man, this one hits home for me, it can lead us to respond in anger. And you might say, well, the solution to that problem is just don't care what other people think. Who cares what people think? And can I just tell you that that's stupid? You can't do that. Not if you follow Jesus anyway. You have to care what other people think. Because I have a witness to preserve. What, what other people think of me does matter. Paul said it like this, I become all things to all people so that by some means I may save some. So if I call myself a follower of Jesus, I cannot say I don't care what people think. I can say I will not allow the opinions of others to dictate the opinion I hold of myself. And I can say that I care more about what God thinks than what you think. But I can't say I don't care what you think. I can't say that your opinion doesn't matter. Not if I truly follow Jesus because truly following Jesus means that I live my life in such a way that I am preaching the gospel with my words and with my actions. So I have to care what you think. And you need to care what other people think. 
But you don't need to allow what they think to control what you think of yourself. Gosh, Joseph had to feel so embarrassed. There's this woman that Jesus encounters in John chapter 8. And this is kind of what I would go to when we talk about what other people think. And she was caught, the Bible says, in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes, they find out about this situation and they drag this woman out into the middle of the streets. They don't touch the man. They're not worried about the man because being a man in this culture and doing that kind of thing doesn't really give you any negative implications. But being a woman and doing that, this kind of thing is, is, is a huge deal. It's, just a, it's such a disgrace. And so they drag her into the middle of the street and they go to Jesus because Jesus has been teaching and he's been preaching and, and really they wanted to trap Jesus. So they go to him and they say, what should we do to this woman? The law of Moses says we can stone her right here and right now. And that's what a lot of times the opinions of others feel like in our life. They feel like they're going to end us, right? When we mess up or when we do something or when something happens to us, we think, man, the whole world is going to end because everybody knows my junk. Everybody knows my story. But let me remind you of what Jesus did in that situation. The word says, John says, that he actually knelt down into the dirt. You guys remember this? It's one of my favorites. He knelt down into the, into the dirt and he began to write. Oh my goodness, how bad do I want to know what he wrote in that dirt? Here, here's my guess. Here's my guess. He probably started writing uh, stories about the people who were gathered around. And he was like, oh, Jimmy over there. Jimmy, I know what you did the other night. You were, yeah, that's right there. That's what you was doing the other night. Mm -hmm. I know what you was and, 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 and the Bible says that one by one, they begin to drop their rocks. One by one, they begin to drop the stones as they saw what Jesus was writing into the dirt. And we don't know what he was writing. I don't know. And the lady looks up. She makes contact, eye contact with Jesus. And Jesus says to her, where, where are your accusers at? And she says, they're, they're gone. And he looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that's what Jesus would say to you when you feel shame, when you feel humiliation. Regardless if it's something that happened to you or something you did to yourself, he would say to you, I forgive you. There's no need to feel ashamed. There's no need to, to allow what you can't change to change you, to control you. Sometimes we feel fear because we feel afraid. Can you imagine the once Joseph came to terms with the responsibility that was laid before him to raise the Son of God, to raise the Messiah. When I think about me and when it comes to anger, I, pr I probably relate most to this one, that I allow my fear to come out as anger, fear of what I can't control, Fear of what I can't change. Fear of what could happen. If you get your phone out and you go to social media, you start looking at the news, you start looking at different things. I think the reason why there's so much anger in our world today is because there's so much fear in our world today. People are afraid. Afraid of the next election. Afraid of the next variant. Afraid of what gas prices may or may not become, afraid of just all different kinds of stuff. 
We get mad. We get mad at the people and the things that we can't control. Or we tend to get mad at the people and the things that we can't control. And, and, and if there's anything that I have learned in the last two years, and if there's anything that I am learning over the last two years, is that I have control over very little in my life. I used, I, I, and I like control. If me and you go for a ride somewhere, I will drive. That's just how it's going to be. And you could say, oh, you need to pray about that. Well, you need to shut up and just get in the car because I'm driving. <laughs> you might be a good person, but I don't trust you. I mean, I trust, I trust your intentions. I don't, just don't trust your ability. I don't trust mine either, but it's neither here nor there. We get mad at things we can't control. And, and the, we all want control. We want control of our lives. We want control of our futures. We want control of our kids. We want, we want control, but we don't have it. And until we own that, the, the, the problem is going to be that the things that we can't control will start to control us. James, going back to James, says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So much of what we get angry about revolves around things that we don't know anything about. Let, let, me, let, me, let me make it make more sense. When I was a youth pastor and I worked under a senior pastor... I would get mad at him at different times because he would do things or make decisions that I thought were wrong. And, then I, and I, would, I would think, man, he's, he's not doing a good job. He's, he's, he's messing this up. If he was just as smart as me, who was you know, 10 years younger than him and 10 years less experienced than him, if he would just listen to me, he, this would go a lot better. And, and then one day I became a senior pastor and I realized how stupid I was. And, and I mean, seriously. And how I actually had a conversation with my former senior pastor and told him how sorry I was. Because I didn't realize the responsibility. I didn't realize why he made the decisions the way he did. So, so maybe, maybe I'll get some more amens if I say it like this. How many of you are parenting a teenager right now who thinks that they know more than you know? <laughs> Holly, raise your hand. <laughs> I see some waving in the back. I see Sierra Eubanks looking at me like she's going to throw something and hurt me right now. <laughs> but, you know, when I was a teenager, I was so much smarter then than I am now. <laughs> I have learned that the, the true sign of wisdom is not learning more. It's just realizing how much you don't know. I think, and I don't really think wisdom started setting in in my life until my children were old enough to talk. And once they started having opinions, it was at that point in time when I realized, oh my God, my poor parents. Oh, my poor teachers. Oh, my, my poor, poor teachers. You know, and, and so I would often respond in anger when people would make decisions that impacted my life that I disagreed with, but... Lo and behold, more times than not, those decisions were actually made for my benefit. I was just unable because I lacked wisdom and I lacked maturity to understand why they did what they did. Why they said what they said. And in our world today, there's so much that we pretend to know things about. 
but we don't. We don't. How, how angry do you think Joseph might have felt towards God? I wonder if there was ever a moment in time when Joseph thought, I didn't sign up for this. Like, hey, this is, this is a lot more than I was bargaining for. She was just a cute girl down the street. I did not know that this is where it was going, okay? James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Paul says, don't let sin, or don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. How many wives and husbands have weaponized that verse? <laughs> we can't go to bed yet. We've got, to, we've got to figure this out. What all this means is don't let the way you feel in the moment control, control what you say in a way that will last far beyond the moment. That, that kind of anger rarely makes things better. But it almost always makes them a lot worse, right? Yeah. Just this week, I got an email. And I'm not going to tell you what it said. Because um, it doesn't matter. Because I'm over it, obviously. <laughs> it wasn't from anybody in the church. It had nothing to do with the church. So that's good to know right there. I got an email and it made me mad. It made me so mad. Um, and I was texting Kristen and I said, you know what? I'm going to respond to this email. And I, and I did. I didn't say what I wanted to say. I told Kristen what I wanted to say. And then I said some other stuff in the email that was not as harsh. And then I told her, I said, I'm going to put this on Facebook. People need to know how stupid this is. And this is my sign language for typing. And, uh, and I had it written out. And then she responds to the text like a punk. <laughs> and she says, you think that's going to help? And I said, and I quote, it'll help me. <laughs> and she says something to the effect of, well, just remember who you are. She gets on my nerves, y'all. <laughs> y'all pray for me. It's hard living with somebody way holier than you. I don't know how Don does it. <laughs> and she wound up saying, you know, it, it won't help, but it sure might hurt. It might hurt the people who decide to come to LifeHouse. It might hurt the people who are at LifeHouse. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, my opinion didn't matter. It wouldn't change anything. I was angry. And, I, and I'll be real with you, I'm still upset about it. But it doesn't matter. I can't do anything about it. And, and there's people making decisions that I have no control over. And the sooner I come to terms with that, the sooner I'll have peace in my soul about it. Amen. If you're frustrated with people or the world around you, don't let it control you and cause you to sin by becoming angry, mean, bitter, vengeful, any of that kind of stuff. Instead, take it to God. Take it, and, you know, and, and this is what's so wonderful about, how, and I'm going to talk about this later, and when I get there, you just act surprised when I get there again. 
But what's so wonderful about our loving Father is He can handle you at your worst. He can handle you at the height of your emotions when you were mad, when you were ticked off, when you've got bad things to say. He is never like, oh man. He, he doesn't start to blush. He doesn't start to get afraid. He, do, he doesn't even condemn you in that moment. He would rather you lash out with Him than lash out with one of His children. Because in that moment, when you tell him, when you give him your junk, he will give you his peace. When you give him your anger, he will give you his joy. When you give him your pain, he will give you his healing, okay? But when you, when you try to hold on to it, you can't receive from God because you're keeping the junk inside of you. You're keeping the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the, the vengeful feelings. But when you'll be honest with him, when you'll be real with him, because he's a good father like that. You know, I would rather my kids tell me the truth and lie to me all day, every day. Amen? Amen. I would rather them come to me in their worst and try to hide it from me. And then it wound up causing something far greater down the road. And if, he's, if, if, if I, being a sinful father, I'm quoting Matthew 6, if me being a sinful father, a, a, a messed up dad in that respect want to do good things for my children, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to do good things for us? So we get angry when we feel hurt. We get angry when we feel humiliated. We get angry when we feel afraid. We get angry, lastly, when we feel like we've been done wrong. We get angry when our sense of justice is betrayed. And good gracious, if anybody ever had a reason to feel wronged, it was Joseph when Mary comes to him and says, I'm pregnant, God did it. Deal with it. You ever felt like God did you wrong? Can I tell you again? If you ever feel that way, you can go right to Him about it. You don't have to, you don't have to sugarcoat it. I felt like God's done me wrong before. I've been in situations where I thought I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. Then to only later find and feel like he just left me to, to figure it out on my own, left me high and dry. I've been in situations where I thought, man, I'm trying to do everything right. Why does all this wrong keep happening? I'll say this, and I say this in faith, I don't, I don't know that I always feel this, but I know it's true. You know what I mean? Like you can know something's true, but sometimes you, you struggle with it, even though you know it's true. That whatever God does, He does because He loves you. Whatever God doesn't do for you, He does because He loves you. And that's hard. And I, sometimes in the middle of the junk, I don't feel that way, but I still know it's true. When you feel like somebody's done you wrong or when you see somebody else being done wrong. Can I get a witness? Anger is a normal response. And remember, like I've been saying the whole message, anger in and of itself is not bad. If you go over and you start like degrading my wife or talking mean to one of my kids or, you know, if you, God forbid, you like, you know, lay hands on one of my children in a, in a way that is not holy and of the Lord, I will lay hands on you. I mean, I will straight up hurt you. <laughs> Had to choose my word very wisely there. <laughs> and it will not be in sin. It will be because God made me a dad. God made me a husband. And he gave me the ability to respond appropriately to threats. Amen. However, however, 
Remember, being angry and feeling angry and doing the things that are required of you in the moment when anger happens for a justifiable reason are okay, but holding on to it and allowing it to control you is not okay. I want to remind you of a story. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm going to need Chris Gilmore to like wave his hand right now. He started talking to me one day about the savagery of Jesus. And it is incredible. We'll do a sermon series. He's going to preach every message about it called the savagery of Jesus. But remember, there's a story where Jesus goes to the temple and there's money changers out there. And what that means is they're exchanging currencies and they're charging exorbitant rates for these different currencies. They're selling these different animals for sacrifice. And so what's happening is the money changers and different politicians and different people of power in the temple are taking advantage of their position for personal profit. Okay? And Jesus sees that happening. And the Bible says, I need a, I need a, I need a chair. I need a chair. I'm going to sit right here. Sorry, Steve. Jesus, I'm going to sit right here. This is better. Jesus, Jesus sees it happening. And he doesn't react. He sits down and he takes some leather or something, some rope or something. And he sits down and he's watching it. And he starts making a whip. I love this. He, he literally takes the time to sit down and he watches and he observes. And I'm sure he's praying. Mm, don't let me kill anybody today. And he braids a whip. Man knew how to, I don't know how to braid a whip. Any man knows how to braid a whip has got my respect, okay? He braids a whip. I don't know how long that took, but I'm sure it took some time, right? So he didn't let anger control him in the moment, but he was intentional about how he expressed his anger. He braided a whip, and when he got that mug finished, the Bible says he stood up and he went to town on some folks. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say he actually hit anybody, but I want to believe he did. It just makes me feel better. <laughs> He starts turning table over, tables over and he starts cracking that whip like Indiana Jones getting out of the Temple of Doom and, 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 and it runs the money changers out and, and I love it, y'all. Because anger in and of itself isn't bad. God gets angry. Jesus got angry. And God designed you to get angry so you could react and respond in situations to protect yourself and to protect people that you love. But this is what Paul says in Romans. So we've got to reconcile these, okay? How do we reconcile protecting people and protecting myself and doing the right thing and, 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 and handling anger in a way? It's such a fine line, right? How do we reconcile? This is what Paul says. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus says it like this. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think, I think that in certain situations that we have to remember that just as we have been wronged, we have also wronged. I'm so grateful that people haven't always given me what I deserve. I'm so much more grateful that God has not given me what I deserve. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, I've been lied to, but I've also lied. I've been, I've been let down, but I've also been the one who let them down. I've been hurt, 
but I've also been the one doing the hurting. And just as I want to receive mercy, I have to be willing to give it. You see, we actually go really easy on ourselves in these kind of situations, though, because we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. And we'll say something like, well, I didn't mean it that way. Well, it's still what you said. I think that's worth repeating. We judge ourselves by our intentions, but we want to judge others by their actions. This is what Paul said. I'm going to read it one more time. From Ephesians, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I wish there was a period there sometimes. But it's not. There's a comma. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I want to just, let me just offer a disclaimer here. If, 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 if somebody in your life is a danger to you, that needs to be dealt with hastily and, and, and succinctly. If, if there's a person in your life that poses physical harm or even verbal or emotional harm to you, I hope I'm hoping I make myself clear. I don't really have time to go down that rabbit trail. But, but I, what I am not saying to, to a spouse who's being abused by another spouse that you just need to forgive and forget. That's not what I'm saying. I hope you understand that. Okay? I, I would never, never say that. But for most of us, in most situations, it would do us well to remember just how much we've been forgiven. And then reciprocate that kind of mercy, that kind of grace, and that kind of forgiveness to those who have hurt us. I was telling the worship team before church, you know, talking about my dad. If you were here last week, this will make sense to you, but I cut grass Friday afternoon. <laughs> and if you weren't here, it makes no sense, and I don't have time to tell you. But, uh, you know, it's easy for me, cutting grass, to start thinking about stuff. My dad's been dead 20 years. I still get mad at him about stuff. But I have to remember he was a product of his father before him just as much as I'm a product of, of my father. But I all the more want to be a product of my heavenly father. And my heavenly father forgives. My heavenly father is merciful. My heavenly father is full of grace, abounding in love. Let me get real practical as we close this, okay? You guys okay? Yes. Somebody give me one of those pity gay men's. Amen. So how do we deal with angry people? How do we deal? Seriously, how do we deal with ang angry people? I want to give you just four ideas right here. You write them down if you want to. And if you don't want to get better, then don't write them down. <laughs> Number one, try to understand. Everybody's got a perspective. Everybody's got a reason. Everybody's got a motive. And if we'll try to understand where they're coming from, it will help us a whole lot in our response to them from that point onward. 
So number one, try to understand. Number two, stay calm. Or at least attempt to stay calm. Because when we respond to anger with more anger, we're basically pouring gas on a fire, right? Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's, that's, I'm telling you, this is some of the best preaching you've heard all year. Because I think we could all apply it, especially on Mondays, right? We could all apply it in some capacity, somehow. You ain't shouting me down, but I'm preaching good, my pastor used to say. So number one, we try to understand. Number two, we stay calm. Number three, we don't escalate. Um, so we made a rule, me and Kristen, early in our marriage that we don't keep score. And what that means is when we argue, I mean, we don't, but if we, if we ever did, <laughs> we're not allowed to bring up the past. We're not allowed to bring up what happened, you know, yeah, 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, for, or, or 10 years ago for that matter. We don't keep score like that. And I would encourage you in your relationships to follow that advice as well. Don't bring up other issues in the middle of one issue, okay? Don't escalate the situation. And number four, know when to walk away. Because sometimes, sadly, a positive outcome isn't always a possibility. And let me just say it again, stay safe. Stay safe. An angry person isn't always a violent person. But if you feel in danger, then you need to get away. You need to get help. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. And Don, will you help me out? Last thing I want to talk to you about is how do we deal with our anger? How do we ungrinch ourselves from our anger, our, our bitterness, our irritability? This is, please forgive me if this seems overly practical and not enough like hooping and hollering Pentecostal type preaching, okay? But number one, just breathe. Just breathe. Slow down. Take a breath. I, I, you can look it up. There's many different ways that people talk about trying to slow your heart rate, but one way that I read is you breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for seven seconds, and you release it for eight seconds. Now, if you have asthma like I do, this could be rather difficult. But, but maybe if you've got better lungs than me, maybe you can do that. But just breathe. Slow your heart rate down. Because what's happening in that moment of anger, it's just super practical, but your body is literally dumping adrenaline into your bloodstream, which is causing your heart to beat faster. You're going to take shallow breaths. Remember, your muscles are going to tense up. Even if, the, even if the thing that's making you angry isn't physical, maybe it's an email, right? Maybe, it, maybe it's something that you watched on TV or something that you read on social media. Your body doesn't know the difference, though. Your body cannot discern the difference between a physical threat or an emotional threat or something. Your body does the same thing regardless of the situation. Your heart rate wants to speed up, and, and you begin to make decisions because here's what happens your mind, your brain starts to be robbed of oxygen. And it begins to go to your, to your core body and to your extremities because your fight or flight reflex is kicking in and you're ready to throw punches. You might be behind the keyboard, but your body thinks you're ready to throw punches, right? So one of the first things you need to do when you start feeling that anger set in, take a breath. And the second thing is a lot harder. Empathize. Empathize with the person that's upsetting you. Where are they coming from? Number three, y'all ain't gonna like this one, but it's good. 
Resist the temptation to vent. Get your phone out. Call somebody. You text them. Hey, I need to vent for a while. You pick it up and you start telling them about how Brian's did this thing and done that thing. Sorry, Brian. I love you, man. Nothing. No offense. But did you know venting actually makes us, makes you feel anger all the more? It doesn't make it go away. It's like pouring fuel on it. And you know what else happens when we vent? We give other people our offense. If I start venting about, let's say, let's say Brian does something and I start going to Kristen, I'm like, man, that jerk. He's such a punk. Can't believe he did that. Now Kristen was like, I got no problem with Brian, but all of a sudden now she does. I love this one though. This next one's really good for me. Eat or sleep, or both. I feel the Holy Ghost. They don't call it hangry for no reason, right? Come on, your body's out of whack. Your, your sleep cycle might not be good. Your blood sugar might be messed up. Because listen, your brain will lie to you and make you think something that, that's really bad, you know, something that's not really bad, a really big deal, because your, your chemical, you got a chemical imbalance going on because you haven't got the rest you need or because you haven't eaten lately or because you've eaten, you know, too many Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes and your blood sugar's real high and you need some insulin, but you can't find any because you don't have diabetes, but... <laughs> Come on, this is real, man. This is real life stuff. This is like Sunday afternoon at the restaurant stuff. Number five, I love this one. Take your feelings to your father. Don't take them to your friend. Not first anyway. Before you talk to another single person about it, talk to him about it. Before you drag another person into that situation, because see, he can handle it. And he knows the story that you don't know. He understands the situation that you don't understand. And he loves the person that you're angry with just as much as he loves you. Will you stand with me this morning? Has this been okay? You're not just saying that, you promise? And lastly... There's a bonus for you. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe you need to offer it. Maybe today, when you get in the parking lot, you need to take your phone out and make a phone call to somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry. Or say, hey, I just want you to know I forgive you. This is over. This is done. It's in the past. Because anger, in and of itself, is not bad. How we handle it is what oftentimes is bad. And one of the main ways we handle it is by holding a grudge. And that's like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt another person. It will destroy you. It will rot your soul from the inside out. You say, well, Pastor Drew, you don't know what they did. And and that's true, I, I don't. You don't know how bad they hurt me. You don't know how 
much they humiliated me. You don't know how intensely they wronged me. And that is all very true. I don't. And I don't understand your specific situation. But I do understand that you holding on to anger and holding on to bitterness and holding on to unforgiveness is not doing anybody, especially yourself, any favors. But it is toxic to your soul. It is going to destroy your future. It is going to ruin your other relationships. It will seep its way into every part of your life, spreading that infection to every other thing it touches. So maybe today, the way you deal with anger, the way you deal with hurt, the way you deal with humiliation and that pain is you remember just how much you've been forgiven. And so in turn, you take forgiveness that you've been given and you offer it to somebody else. And you let go. And you let go of it. Does it mean that you become best friends with them? Does it mean that y'all hang out this afternoon? That's not what it means at all. It just means that you don't hold anything against them anymore. It just means that you let it go. But like I said, maybe you're the one that needs to ask for it. Before we go any further though, there's one person that you can go to that if you have dealt with anger, if you struggle with it, that you can go to. And I believe He wants to help you. And that's your Heavenly Father. That's your Heavenly Father. So today with every eye open and everybody looking around today if you'd say Pastor Drew I need the Father's help when it comes to anger in my life would you lift your hand high in the air come on how many I got come on raise it high raise it high I need the Father's help dealing with anger in a way that's healthy in a way that doesn't hurt others in a way that doesn't hurt me can we do something we don't do this a lot here at Lifehouse but let's do it today Would you just take the hand of the person beside you or or if you don't want to hold hands, maybe you feel like that's weird, just put your hand on their shoulder. Just make contact with your neighbor. And I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want you to pray as well. I want us to pray together because at least half of the house raised their hand and said, you know, I deal with anger in a way and I need the Lord to help me with that. So let's pray for one another when it comes to our emotions, when it comes to ungrinching ourselves from anger, that the Lord would help us in that area, that He would bring peace, that He would help us to, uh, to offer and to receive forgiveness. So let's pray together. Father, come on church, let's pray for one another. Father, we come to You with all humility and all sincerity, God, and we ask You, Lord, in this moment that You would be the God who heals, that You would be the God who forgives, that You would be the God who restores God, that you would uh, help us, Lord, to confess our sin. Lord, if we've been holding on to something against somebody, if we've been holding on to anger, Father, we give that to you today. And we understand, Lord, that when we forgive others, it's not just a moment, it's also a process. It's a process that we may have to repeat as, as those feelings try to sneak their way back into our life. God, it's a process. And so, Father, we pray that in those moments when the feelings of anger or when those feelings of bitterness, God, begin to 
just to, to get back into our soul, to find a way back into our life, that you would help us in that moment without hesitation to offer it back to you and to ask you for help. Lord, for those of us in this room who, like myself, Lord, we tend to lash out in those moments. God, that you would give us a heart of wisdom. God, that you would help us to gain perspective that we don't currently have, Lord, so that we would be slow to anger, slow to wrath, slow, slow God, slow to speak. But Lord, that we would be quick to look to you, that we would be quick to trust in you. And God, for those of us in this room, Lord, that we might tend to internalize things and to hold on to it and to allow it to become toxic within us. God, that you would, instead of internalizing it, that you would help us just to go give it to you. Because Lord, you can handle it. You can take it. You can take the pain. You can take the anger. You can take the unforgiveness. You can take You can take it. You can handle it, God. Because you're a good God. You're an able God. You're strong. You're mighty. You're full of grace. Abounding in mercy. And so God, I pray in those moments, Lord, that you would help our first response to always be to turn to you. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Come on. Aren't you, let's pray for families. Look, there's so many families that are hurt by anger and outbursts of anger. And, and anger, like listen, anger is generational. It gets passed from fathers to sons and mothers to daughters because of somebody generations ago that went through something and it makes its way generation, generationally. Can we do that right now? Come on, let's pray for families. Father, we pray in our families, God. Lord, that you would be the God who redeems what the enemy has tried to destroy. That you would be the God who restores, Lord, what Satan has sought to, to burn down generationally, Father. We pray for every child in kids' house today, God, that is, that, that Lord, that you would birth within them a new heart. Lord, if, if I've ever done anything as a father to create a, a pattern of anger in my own children's life, God, that you would, that you would break down what the enemy has sought to do, sought to build up. And that, Lord, that you would build up walls of grace, love, mercy, truth, goodness, kindness, gladness, joy. God, we pray it in the name of Jesus. We pray it in the name of Jesus.